what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. We've recently been covering the story of Stephen Lawrence, arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of his father, Willard Lawrence, in 1992. Steve has always maintained he is innocent of this crime. As mentioned in our previous episode, there was a big chunk of time where unexpectedly Steve and I were unable to speak and, of course, continue recording his story. So we're in the midst of playing catch-up at the moment behind the scenes, he and I, as we continue our chats. So we won't be hearing from Steve today. But as we know, Stephen Lawrence wasn't the only person that would eventually end up on trial for this crime. Hello. Hello, Candy. It's Jack. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Very good, thank you. It's lovely to finally uh, get the chance to have a chat with you. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. No problem at all. Thank you for uh, agreeing to uh, to talk to me. I uh, I really do appreciate it. And uh, his wife, childhood sweetheart and mother to his two sons, would be arrested with him on the same day, sent to jail, and after sitting through the trial of her husband and seeing him convicted, she would also face a jury of her peers as well and the same people who put her husband away for murder. Except, luckily for her, the jury would find her not guilty and send her home to her boys. Although still in Steve's life, through it all, Candy and Steve would eventually divorce, and sometime later, she would remarry. However, almost 50 years later, she still speaks to Steve every single week and is very much a part of his life. And of course, maintains to this day that Steve is absolutely an innocent man. And he, nor herself, had anything to do with the fire on that evening. But of course, before we get to all of that and what she remembers from that night and the trial, I wanted to go right back to when they first met. Oh, 
I met him when I was about 15, and he's two years older than me. And he was a, oh, he was just such a flirt and so cute and everything, <laughs> you know, nice, nice and friendly and everything. And we moved out to the lake in the summer, and that's one of the first times, well, I guess I had met him or seen him really, really fast before that, but he'd go by the house all the time in his boat, and he'd wave and everything, and, and after we talked, I mean, it, it was almost almost like love at first sight. He was just, we, we just really hit it off really good. He's been in my life 50 years right now. I mean, that's a long time. Obviously, you guys have been through something that uh, not many people, if any people really, would uh, would go through in, in a lifetime together. Oh, it's, yeah, a lot, for sure. Tell me about Steve, what he was like uh, as a youngster before all this happened to him. A fun-loving guy, you know, spontaneous. He loved helping people and doing lots of things. And he worked at his dad's grocery store and... And I'd wait for him to come home because, you know, I walked halfway to his house and would wait for him to come home so we could hang out together and everything. And I got to know his mom and dad really, really well. And he was just a really a neat person. In high school, he he was um, the president of the Kiwanis Club, using choir. I think he was really a, a little bit too mature for the kids in like say 11th and 12th grade I think it was kind of hard it was I think it was really too easy for him to be for him to be there you know how you kind of feel like you're just too grown up for yourself and he really was his his parents didn't treat him like a little kid I mean they had a lot of goals for him and and they had a lot of things that they expected out of him and it showed through from high school but he always tried he drove he drove himself to school because they moved out to the lake and he, he was a really a nice kid and he had lots and lots of friends. So, I mean, you say that um, his parents had high, sort of high expectations for him. Was it? Uh, do you th- did you see them as quite sort of strict parents? Yes and no. He knew what was expected out of them. Yeah. And, you know, going to bed early, making sure you get to class, doing what you're supposed to. Uh, I, I think they had, they hoped that he would be happy and just, you know, have whatever he wanted out of life. And actually, even when he was real young, I knew that we'd probably get married, have kids, and have a house, and and be together. You, you knew from a from the get go, by the sounds of it, that um, you know you guys would be together for for a long time. Yes. Candy remembers Willard, Steve's father, very fondly. She remembers a man who worked extremely hard, but also was very generous and loved all of his children. Being the last child, and essentially an only child, being so much younger than his siblings, Steve was spoiled, she says, by both his parents and had a particularly close relationship with his mother. She was fantastic. She was was really a little angel. She was just a nice, nice, caring person. And, um, of course, the last baby and all that kind of good stuff, I mean, they... They, they they did spoil him. They did love him, and she did kowtow over a little bit of him. And but they they raised him right. That's why this whole thing was just such a surprise that someone would want to do something so terrible to him and us and my family. You know. Yeah. So did you have much to do with the the other siblings? Well, in the summertime, um, Don had a house at a different lake, Algonquin Lake, which was like I don't know ten or fifteen minutes away. And so he would, 
he would, you know, come over. We usually had Sunday dinner at their house, which was actually right next door to us. And the girls, Joanne probably only came two or three times a year from um, Washington, D.C., Maryland area. And Judy, when she lived in Marshall, she, yeah, yeah, we probably only literally saw the girls probably five or six times a year at the most. And Don, well, like I said, we, we saw him a lot more, but, you know, he was, he worked for the company and he was busy all the time and going to conventions and doing whatever he did. I don't know, some sort of high up guy there. Um, and Dick and Barb, they would come out on the weekends and stay. And then they eventually bought a cottage, like a, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away. And it was kind of neat to be able to see everyone. We'd take the pontoons out, go swimming and go diving and, we, I did have a nice relationship with them, but you know, like Julie's my mom's age, she was a lot older, a lot older than me. And Joanne, of course, being far away. I mean, we always had good relationships, but there was always something there. I mean, there was always some little jealousy thing, some always some little comment or something like that towards Steve. But I, I got along with them good. They, I would consider them my friends. They loved the boys. Um, Dick and Barb didn't have any children. Um, so, you know, they, I don't think they wanted any, they weren't really, either one of them were really kid lovers, but they did love the boys, you know, and Don, he really loved the boys and he'd make little comments that he kind of wished they were his from time to time. And that kind of scared me because, well, there's only one way that he would have ever got those boys. And that was if we weren't there to take care of them ourselves, you know, I mean, that, that still kind of bothers me a little bit. This story really does seem to be centred around this jealousy that Brother Don appeared to have for Steve and his relationship with their father. Not only did Steve grow up spending more time with his dad than Don due to their father's financial position at the different stages of their lives, but Steve would then go on to father two boys. And in the generation that Willard was from, having boys meant the family name would be carried on. Essentially, his legacy would be passed down. Don would in fact have no kids of his own, and Steve and Candy both say that once their sons were born, Willard would be overjoyed. So much so that Candy reflects on a moment when Don was present, where Willard made it very clear how he felt about having grandsons. I think Katie always hoped he'd have he'd have a lot of grandkids, you know, I mean really, really close and everything. Jamie, the second boy, he was born like three days before Father's Day. Well, I didn't have time to go anywhere to get a present. And I, when I got to the house, you know, Katie took the baby from me and everything. And I gave Willard a big hug and told him happy Father's Day and everything. He said, Candy, you just gave me this one of the best Father's Day presents I could ever have in, in my life. And, of course, that's right in front of Don and everything. And he never had kids oh, and yeah, stuff. And, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was really, really obvious. I, I hope they didn't. I, I'm sure he felt it, you know. But the boys knew they were special and they were loved. And I mean, I'm glad I had boys just because it made Willard so happy. A lot of this case against Steve was suggesting that he had a strained relationship with his father. And in fact, it would also involve Candy as well. And that they were at odds with Willard. And it would just be Steve's mother that would keep the peace between them. However, let's not forget that Steve and Candy built a house and moved in right next door to Willard and his wife, Steve's mum and dad. To do that, you obviously don't dislike your parents or your in-laws. I'd go as far as to say that you had an extremely close relationship, and Candy remembers it fondly. They were really, really wonderful. I mean, I mean, I mean, I know some people that don't even talk to their mother and 
father-in-law, let alone live right next door to him. Yeah, so, yes, it was great because my kids got to, you know, we'd give them a bath. They could eat, you know, have dinner, go next door and give grandma and grandpa a hug every night before they went to bed. There's some talk about how Steve's mother kept the peace between Steve and his father. And then when she passed away, that's when it kind of all unraveled. Um, you know, the story is sort of built around this whole thing that uh, Willard was sick of, you know, getting Steve out of trouble with his money issues and, um, you know, out of his debt all the time. And that there was just this sort of bit of an animosity between Steve and his father. Nothing changed after Katie passed away. I mean, nothing changed. You know, I read in some papers that, oh, Steve asked his dad to borrow $100,000 for something. Well, guess what? When we sold our house, we told him we'd pay him back and we did. You know, it was $100,000. I mean, everybody, no one ever knows the whole story. You know, this, yeah. oh gosh, he needed this and he needed that. And you know what? They did so many wonderful things for us. We didn't ask. And I guarantee you, Willard and Katie gave down to the price of a gallon of milk fare to all the kids. You know, there were times where he would have Joanne come here. I mean, come to Michigan and pick up a car that he was going to give them. And then say he would give us a check for like 6400 or however much it was to all the kids. And he was so fair. I mean, there were times where some of those guys might need something else. And he just, he did, he was really, really fair, but he didn't go out of his way to say, oh, I gave Steve this and I did that. And he wasn't that way. That's nitpicking. He really wasn't that way. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Again, accusations about this apparent strained relationship between Steve and his father was apparently to do with money and how his father was sick of always bailing him out and giving him cash. But it was in fact proven at court that Willard was a very generous man when it came to his children and gave all of them plenty of cash. Don himself would be quizzed on records of large sums of money that had been given to him by his father. In one particular year, they accounted for $60,000 in cash gifts from Willard to Don. 10000 here, 20k there, a few thousand one month and so on. So it's all on record that he was certainly a man who handed out money to all of his children to support them. 
and Candy says that even more so when the subject came up of them moving next door. Willard was jumping through hoops to try and make it happen. Absolutely, and our our taxes out there at the time, I mean, I've heard they're terrible now, but when we built that house, Willard wanted us to be next door so bad. Our taxes were $6,000 a year. Well, guess what? We already knew that, I guess at the time, you could give each person $5,000 without being taxed on it additionally or whatever. So they always gave us money. Yeah. And it it was very, and it was appreciated too, you know, but it wasn't like it was anything where we weren't going to make it if, you know, he didn't help us. And, and actually we probably wouldn't have even moved out there if, if he would have been poor. I mean, we, he knew we were going to need help and he loved helping people. So that worked out good for everyone. That was wonderful. As we know, on the day of Willard's arrival back into Michigan, Candy and the boys would go over to his house to make sure the heating was on and that he had a few things like milk and some staples in the house that he may need. Later that afternoon, towards the evening, Don would come by to get his dad's car before leaving with the car to the airport to pick him up. On his way out of the property, he testifies that he would turn the -the state-of-the-art alarm system off to make it easier for his father when he got home. Candy tells me that during Don's testimony, he says that his father would have had to leave the garage to go to the front porch and able to disable the alarm. And Candy says that itself is just utter rubbish. I had to get really good at the um, uh, alarm, which was kind of freaky because I'd never been in a house that had a burglar alarm before, just to make sure that everything was fine, towels good, everything's, you know, fine, half gallon milk or whatever he would need that was over there. And when it comes to that burglar alarm, obviously you would have had to um, turn it off to go in, but you would have turned it back on again when you left. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. I kind of thought it was kind of strange. Don testified that when you were in Willard's garage, and of course there's like a little screen door to go inside, he said that you, you there wasn't a, a burglar alarm there, that he would have had to go on all the way around to come in the front door so he didn't have to undo that. Well... I've known them since I was like 15 and I'd been in the house since I was like 16 and and there was that alarm was there. So he said that was one of the reasons why I turned it off so he didn't have to go to the front porch. He would have never had to go through the front porch to get in his house. He was kind of selling it as this big um, sort of irritation for your father to ha- for his father to have to to switch off this alarm and he didn't really want him to go through the hassles so he's like I'll just switch it off and then he doesn't have to worry about yep. it and, and I think I make a point in one of the episodes to say that you know this is a house that Will had built and had this system put in so turning off the alarm for him would have been as simple as turning the key in the front door he would have been so used to it that it wouldn't it wouldn't be really a hassle oh, it wasn't a hassle I mean there was lights in the garage and everything I mean that That was just a good excuse for him to get the people not looking at him. That night, um, you will go to bed as normal, and um, uh, and the next thing you know, you're woken up by uh, by a noise. Yes, Um, actually, um, come to find out, well, actually, it, it almost did sound like gunshot. Um, someone attempted to throw a great big, well, I, it was a short, fat, green um, beer bottle into the window on Steve's side of the bed. And uh, it broke the glass, but it didn't come in, thank God, because it probably would have burned us up. But anyway, we got up and Steve, you know, Steve said, oh my God, get down, someone's shooting at us. 
well, and he, he jumped out of bed. I probably rolled out of bed. Um, and then after, you know, you give yourself just a minute or so, cause you don't want to get your head blown off if someone's really out there shooting at you. And when we looked out the window, um, his, his office window was literally right across from our bedroom. And it was a, it looked like a rocket plane. I mean, it was like, it was just unbelievable. And it didn't last very long. And all that time or for those few minutes before we got outside, I was just assuming that that was what that flame projecting outwards was what broke our window, but it wasn't. And when I went out there, we saw a, a beer bottle and I really couldn't even tell you how much of the wick was burnt, if at all. I mean, it was, I don't know. I, to this day, I do believe that someone wanted us to be the one that saw the fire first. And then, then that's when we ran outside and Steve made the phone calls. And I mean, of course I'm freaking out, letting him do that kind of stuff because I have to get my kids. I mean, I was scared to death. They're way upstairs in this great big house away from us. So that started that whole night of hell on earth. So I just want to jump in here at this point because we will discuss the topic of this Molotov cocktail with Steve in an upcoming episode. Candy says a number of things have bothered her over the years looking back at what was said about the events of that night. One of those is Brother Don's accounts of after getting the call about his dad's home being on fire, where he and his partner apparently chased the dog around their house to make sure it was secure before they chose to leave. Why didn't they just leave immediately? I mean, it was so crazy. I mean, there probably literally was 20 or 30 people there. I can't even remember a whole bunch. I almost think Mary Jo hugged me. I don't even know if I Don came up to me or anything like that. It took a little while, but he testified in court that he tried to get his dog in a cage for quite a while before he even left to come to, yeah. the, to Willard's house. Yeah. I don't know if that was Steve's trial or mine. Yeah, it was in Steve's trial, yeah. You know, uh-huh. one of one of the neighbours on her during her testimony points out the fact that when she sees Steve and the boys, you know, they're sort of fully dressed in full winter clothing, coats, jackets, the whole lot. Um, and I guess the inference there mm-hmm. is, well, you know, if you were just startled up and you, you there was a fire at your father's home, surely you would just jump out of bed and you'd be out the door. You wouldn't, you know, go to the effort of, of getting fully dressed. And then you look at Don's accounts of what happened when he got the phone call. He gets the phone call and then he says he goes to the bathroom and splashes some water on his face and then goes to, while his partner's chasing yeah. the, do- the dog around the house and then he goes to the kitchen and calls back to find yeah. out if his dad um, had got out of the house and then he said that he thinks after that yeah. call they may have left maybe a minute or so after because they were still trying to get the, the dog uh-huh. locked away and I'm, I don't think you can look at Steve, you, uh, Steve and say well you know why would he get fully dressed before he goes to a fire and then look at a man who's chasing a dog around a house and splashing water on his face who, who would have also got fully dressed and, and look at that story and say, well, yep. that's perfectly normal, whereas look at this guy. I mean, he's fully dressed. I mean, he, he's, he doesn't right. look like he's in a rush to get out of the house. I've had lots of time to stop and think about all these things. It just makes you wonder because really, even though that was a stupid dog and was always getting into something, if that was been my mom or dad, You'd be and gone. I thought that that was happening to him, I'd let that. Yeah, let the dog tear the, I, tear the place apart. Just, that's right, exactly. And, um, and I've heard that from numerous people over the years. Again, I want to reiterate here that I am in no way making any suggestions that Brother Don had anything to do with the fire that night or, of course, the death of his father. Steve was, as we know, the only one ever convicted for this crime. 
simply pointing out how one man's actions can be perceived as apparently suspicious and another's can be sold as a simple account of the events from an evening. Candy talks me through her memory of the events following the fire. Uh, well, lots of people showed up. I mean, supposedly uh, an insurance adjuster and um, the, the fire people came, you know, over and kept coming back. Everybody kept coming over to our house. And, you know, everyone's saying, well, how come this person comes over? And how come this person comes over? And how come the fire people put all this stuff on your deck? Well, guess what? We were like 15 feet from this little line. You know what I'm saying? Where else are you going to go? You know, that's one of the kids' houses. Um, so there was lots of people around and his siblings, I mean, they they eventually got here. I can't remember how long it took the girls to get here, maybe a day, because the girls had to fly in, I think. A lot is made about Steve's reaction to it all. And, you know, obviously one of the biggest things that they make a point of always focusing on is the fact that you guys sort of disappeared, oh. um, you know, for a couple of days. Oh, I can tell you all about that. Don called Steve and said, oh, we got to have everybody at my house. we got to have everybody at my house and everything. Well, after his sister, and I hate to say this, but people called her Fruity Judy. I mean, I never did because she was my sister-in-law. But she was, you know, kind of out there a little bit. And uh, she um, had a friend, and then she, supposedly she went to someone else who was a psychic, and, oh, the family's in danger, and, oh, this, and don't get in this color car because it's going to be a terrible car accident, all this kind of crap all the time. But when she kept telling Don, oh, something bad's going to happen, someone's out to get everybody in the family, blah, 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 and I'm like, oh, my God. So, you know what, Steve said, I think we should go in there and let's go see what's going on, and we'll all stay together and we'll be safe. And you know what? It was me who said, I'm not going there because... Uh, I didn't want, I didn't want someone that was really after the family to get all of the family. And I have two little kids, no way. I, I said, I don't care where you go. No, I, I wouldn't go there. So we did take off for a couple of days. And I know he touched base with them a couple of times or more. I mean, I don't know. I just concentrating on my children. You have one minute remaining. And that's all we've got time for. But coming up in part two of my chat with Candy, well, when you thought you've heard it all... No one ever made an issue out of it or anything. That's blown my mind. I had no idea. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. Earsay.